thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Suits and Suves, Captains and Commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 151 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever and was recorded on Friday, January 13th, and made available for download Tuesday, January 17th over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Jeff. And I'm Henry. So, what do we have in store this week, Henry? In this week's Squawk Box... We follow up on an object so large it caused a distant star to dim 22%, and no that's not Ken Shadow's mother. On Flight Deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we bring you controversy, concerns and other sea words in Star Citizen, and in Elite Dangerous, combat and blueprint balancing is now live. And so are the Thargoids? Next we debate standardized control schemes before finally tuning into the feedback loop and letting you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Hey, you boys, see a carrier out here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Cryptor, cryptor, cryptor. This is Jeff saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. So we here at Guard Frequency have discussed KIC 8462852 or Tabby Star before. For those who don't remember, that's the so-called Alien Megastructure Star. Where observational records of the star were reviewed, it showed that the light from the star dipped by 22% over the last several years. That's not a normal amount, even if a planet or a comet gets in the way. So, some scientists suggest that the presence of some sort of megastructure like a Dyson Sphere could be blocking the light. Scientists aren't saying it's aliens. Yeah, they still say it's probably not aliens. Apparently, the star is just hungry. A study out of Columbia University suggests that the secular dimming behavior is a result of the interspiral of a planetary body or bodies into the star. Basically, one or more planets' orbits decay and fell into the star, and as it got closer, the debris of the breakup blocked some of the star's light. A similar theory states that the planetary body, after being consumed, caused the star's brightness to increase, and the dimming we see now is the star is returning to its, quote, normal brightness. This possibility is intriguing to scientists because it suggests that planetary bodies falling into stars may be a regular thing. We've estimated that if Tabby's star were representative, something like 10 Jupiters would have to fall into a typical star over its lifetime, or maybe even more. And that's a quote from the scientist. So they're not convinced it's aliens, but we may need to keep an eye on Sol to see if it's getting peckish. I hope it's aliens, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they always go there and it's sensationalized news for the internet. Um, but I'm glad we're getting a realistic explanation besides the megastructure. But man, I wish it was a megastructure. Well, you know, I like all theories. I'm, I've always, I tell my my kids all the time i'm a big fan of outer space but like nature we still haven't discovered our own nature's mysteries all of them yeah there's a lot we know but if you take that into the uh, cosmic universe is nature we still have not yet 
discovered all of its mysteries yet either. You know, whatever explanation is out there, it's just fascinating that we're seeing this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I like how the working on multiple theories, they haven't narrowed down any one as being more likely, but I do think it's good that they have um, several theories apart from the aliens to work on, just because it'll give everyone who's interested a different avenue to approach with their research. Yeah, that's true, and we just keep getting better and better telescopes. We're, we're going to find out what's going on there eventually. It's just a matter of letting technology catch up to you know what we want to start looking at. That's kind of interesting... It surprised me that one of the theories is that there may be up to like 10 planets that would fall into a star over the course of its lifetime. That seems, um, I, I don't know, I don't want to say scary, but it seems like a very different model of how solar systems work than has been proposed before. Well, I, I've heard that if you take the size of Jupiter in our own solar system, there are solar systems out there that have planets that are five times the size of Jupiter, if, if that can be even imagined. So it could be that this could have been a very close body that was, you know, five to six times bigger than Jupiter, and it fell in and, you know, greatly impacted the star. I mean, it's just mind-boggling what, what could be out there. Yeah, that's a that's a interesting thing too i've heard that jupiter's large jupiter's migrate too because we see a lot of evidence of really large planets really close to the star and they believe uh, at least what i've heard is that jupiter's start out further out in the solar system and then work their way in over time into a kind of a death spiral and i wonder if that's something that eventually would happen here or and if it's that that's common throughout the galaxy yeah, well, the huge planets have enough of their own gravity that they would be able to sort of fight the star for a while, and then they'd either have to fall into some sort of almost binary orbit or they'd keep falling in. It's cool stuff. But you know what's interesting? We don't see anything like this in games like Elite. Thinking, uh, We see a lot of different variety in star systems thanks to the uh, universe generation system. But we don't see things like accretion disks or stars that are actually eating their planets. That would be interesting to see in a game. Yeah, I'm really looking for the day that we get a space sim that really models, I mean, truly models what we know about of the universe with all with the nebulas and the collision planets and the, oh, man, just it, that would be so beautiful to fly up and around it got me thinking how we land on uh, like an elite when we land on a planet we really don't have things like atmospheric effects or you know really a lot of gravity issues or anything like that it would, it would be something to be able to actually fly in a true universe model yeah and in, in elite there is a little bit of atmospheric effect but we're not able to land in the atmospheric planets right now but on the on the airless bodies, some of them do have a mist, and if you uh, if you go to some of these and you go into the canyon canyons, it's almost like being under an atmosphere. The sky is colored; you can't always see the stars. It's really cool. There's also different sizes, and the gravity is modeled. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but at, in the Sol system, if you have a permit to go there, they just released an update that puts a bunch of dwarf planets. But the gravity there is insane, and landing on it's very difficult because your ship's just going to just sink, and you're going to hit the ground hard unless you're really working against it. So we do have some of that cool variety going on, but you're right. I'd like to see more, and I can't wait till we can land on atmospheric planets. The only thing to remember, though, is that some of these galactic phenomena are glacially slow to happen because, like, a star eating a planet is something that takes on the order of centuries 
So That's true, but an accretion disk around a black hole is something that would exist for centuries or a thousand years or however long. Oh, yeah, no. Um, but, I mean, most of these would be a lot of variety and uh, visually impressive, but they would be, for all intents and purposes, static a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, from our perspective, because we're not seeing it over centuries. But, yeah, you're right there. But, man, they'd be some great set pieces in the background. Read, seen, or heard something that you might find to be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for January 13th, 2017. $141.5 million, 1.719 million registered accounts, and 1.199 million ships in the UE fleet. Those are numbers set since the last time we reported them, which was about a month ago. CIG seems to be very good at producing two things. Amazing visual fidelity space sim gameplay and community controversy. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of the former and it would seem too much of the latter. On January 9th, a newsletter announcement was released that detailed the plans for CIG's video and community content in 2017. Among the changes that were announced, the 10 for the series has officially been cancelled as a weekly feature, and Reverse the Verse is no longer going to be an informal live feedback forum with whatever developers and community members are available. Instead, RTV will feature Jared Disco Lando and Tyler Whitkin live-streaming Alpha 2.6 gameplay for the community. Outside the official announcement, the explanation for the cancellations and format changes are sensible from a business standpoint. Disco Lando indicated that finding time to pull the developers away from actual development to do an hour or three of video was getting more difficult, both because of developer schedules and because finding developers who wanted to go on film was becoming a challenge. Also, with development being more distributed now, getting experts to speak on particular topics would have required interviews from the UK or Frankfurt, which don't have dedicated video teams and setups like the LA office, increasing the time and complexity of the shoot. Despite the objectively sensible explanation, the announcement has caused some concerns. Some believe it's further obfuscation of the development process. While the 10 for the questions were screened, many people appreciated being able to direct the conversation and get answers about specific topics that drilled down a bit deeper than the Around the Verse content sometimes did. With Reverse the Verse, though the devs and community staff weren't obligated to answer the questions posed through chat, they would usually at least acknowledge if a question was being asked. Now the argument goes, the only forum for direct community questions are the monthly town halls, where the questions are limited to subscribers and the new ship Q&As, which are obviously limited in scope. Also, many pointed out that watching someone play 2.6 is content already supplied by numerous live streamers. The question remains, what, if anything, will be unique about Jared and Tyler's presentation? More concern has come from the subscribers. For those who don't know, subscribers pay up to $20 per month. This extra contribution has perks associated with it, several of which were advertised as giving the subscribers deeper and more direct influence on the development. At the start of the campaign, for example, one of those perks was the chance to personally ask three questions of Chris Roberts about the development. When the success of the campaign made that unfeasible, the 10 for the Chairman show was offered as a substitute. 
The elimination of that show only adds to the complaints from subscribers who believe that the subscription compensations have been diluted to the point of being almost meaningless, reducing it to another form of the season pass many games have, but with less substantial rewards than those services offer. Also from the world of Star Citizen controversies, while our listeners and hosts are all on board the space sim experience, FPS games have much larger audience. That larger audience also includes cheaters and exploiters. With the release of Star Marine, many of those cheaters have made their way into the newest gameplay mode for Star Citizen. CIG's anti-cheating policy is to impose a non-refundable permaban on anyone caught cheating while playing any of their alpha content. That policy is lauded by the community, however the reporting requirements are causing some grumbling. CIG currently requires recorded video evidence of the cheating to be submitted with a report before they initiate investigation. Some players are calling that an unreasonable burden of proof, given that not everyone habitually records their gameplay sessions. Also, they argue, if the developers are constantly collecting data on gameplay for testing and refinement of the alpha, submitting extra video evidence shouldn't be necessary. Let's talk about the subscriptions because I've been considering canceling mine this this month after doing it for so long and not really getting the benefit. I mean, when I first subscribed, I was looking at supporting the uh, the supporting the product, but I think the product at 144 million dollars, the product has got enough support. <laughs> yes. Uh, so then it becomes a question of whether or not I'm getting a value for that 20 dollars every month. And yeah, I've gotten some flair and I've gotten, you know, a couple of, but really the return on that is if, if Star Citizen, I feel is fully funded and I believe that it is, that's my opinion. So anybody can take offense to that or not, then really what am I, what am I spending it on? So I've been debating besides an extra $20 a month in my pocket is nothing to, at this point in my life. It's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, and I'm, I actually canceled my subscription some time ago. And, I mean, even if you take the premise that a lot of people argue that, well, it's a development subscription, you're not supposed to be looking at it for the perks, you're supposed to be looking at it as a way to support the game. But my, my reasoning on that was that CIG has always, from the beginning, made a point of mentioning that the subscriber money essentially funds the community team and all of the different shows and write-ups that they put out. And over the past year, I just haven't been happy with the direction they've taken all the community content. Yeah, I, uh, and I and I agree with that. So that was, I mean, that was what really broke my resolve on the subscription was just that I don't like the direction they're taking the shows now. I mean, it used to, at first, way, way back when, you know, it was Wingman's Hangar and all that, a lot of the shows were, you know, completely freeform. It was basically, you know, somebody set up a camera, they sat a couple of people around it, and they just shot the breeze. And then it got, they had sort of a mix of scripted and unscripted shows at various times, which... I was okay with. I thought it was a good direction to go. Now it seems like they've almost completely gotten rid of the free-form open shows and everything is fully scripted content. Yeah. Which is just not... It's not something I'm interested in. I don't think it's providing the same window into the development that it used to. And, and I feel the same way about uh, paying for those... Uh 
programs like Netflix and Hulu and all of that that you pay a subscription and you get ads with your content. I I really don't want to I really don't want to spend twenty dollars to watch somebody live stream two point six gameplay that I can find for free on the internet. Yeah, that's right. And you would think with the number of hits they're getting on these videos and the size of the uh, Star Citizen community that they'd be able to ad support some of this. They've specifically avoided any form of outside financial support. That's sort of been one of their hallmarks, which I can respect as a position. So I don't think they'd ever use their hits to try to generate ad revenue. But yeah, like Jeff said, there's a question of you're, you know, they're starting to use their money to produce something that other people are giving away for free. So unless they have some sort of convincing hook or unique premise, because some people were suggesting, like, if they start live streaming builds that aren't out yet, yeah. that might be a draw. Absolutely. And they'd obviously have unique access to it. But if they're just streaming the same thing that everybody can go play and all the regular streamers are already doing, yeah, I don't know how they're going to face up to the competition. I do have to say there is one value in that, and that's the, the monthly jump point. But even then, I've seen kind of a lack of either it's either been repeatable content or quality of content is kind of you know kind of as apparently as they're getting busy and busy they have less and less people to fill this content out so but jump point's always been a good uh, a good return i think yeah so the uh the influx of cheaters can't really have caught anyone by surprise no that's gonna happen i i knew that was gonna happen i knew it how do you guys feel about uh, the policy of permabans? The permaban is, at, at this point in the game, I think they should welcome the cheaters, honestly. Find the broken uh, parts and I, fix them? Find the broken stuff and fix it. Like this an is alpha an alpha. or a beta test. Wow. Yeah, this is an yeah. alpha. Come on. <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe now is uh, the time to welcome it. If you want to cheat, fine. I mean, obviously, this is going nowhere because it's an alpha product. You're not getting any stat. You're, the leaderboards mean absolutely nothing to your internet cred. I, I think I think they're I think they're approaching this in the wrong way. I, I would I would set out a statement and say, "Come on, uh, come on, cheat! I want to ca- I want to catch you cheating because I'm going to fix what what you are are doing." So you're going to help me make a better game. Yeah, break it. Tell us how you did it. That's how beta test works. I think that was your point in a few episodes back when you were talking about um, having everyone who subscribes playing the betas and they don't know how to beta test. Right. So that really speaks to your point there. Well, I think they're trying to focus on people using like external programs because the thing is the FPS function of CryEngine, even as remade and rebaked as CIG has done. Like, the the FPS engine has been there from the beginning. So, there are probably a number of third-party cheating tools that already exist for it. So, I like to think that they're only doing this for people who are specifically grabbing, like, a CryEngine aimbot or invincibility hacking tool and jumping into the game, which, I mean, those... That's not an exploit that needs to be fixed. It's something that you just have to shut down because it's exploiting the base engine in ways that it's just not supposed to be. But if they're knocking people when they find exploits that are things that they need to fix in the programming, that's that's something they need to revisit. 
Yeah, not saying that they're doing that here. Just exploring whether or not that's happening is, I think, what we're talking about. Because I don't know that that's happening. It just, you know, it seems like saying permanent bans for people caught cheating now is discouraging finding exploits to me. Yeah, me too. I and and those aimbots or whatever those external pro those are those, those are detectable. You can plug those up. Yeah. Now we haven't spoken about the uh, video evidence being required. What do you think about that? That's silly. I am not going to set up a recording just so I can go play some FPS. Ain't going to happen. I think with Windows, there's, uh, at least in the NVIDIA Experience program, I think you can set it to, like, record the last couple of minutes of your video constantly, you can, and then you just yeah, have Yeah, you can do it the same with the, with the Radeon uh, software, yeah, too. Yeah, most, most video card software has that built in now, and there are endless third-party apps. But, I mean, the reality is that some people who are obsessive about getting 60 fps and the highest graphical fidelity won't do that just because it it does impact video performance because you've got a lot of storing and recording video is a lot of space and resources especially when they are recording everything in like a combat log you know they're recording all that and and i think the point was made right uh, what we were reading here that uh, that they're recording all that information anyway because it's an alpha. So I don't know that they need the video. But in light of what happened in Elite recently where they were saying video evidence, we'll review it. Anybody caught combat logging or whatever, we get video evidence, we're going to take care of it. And then they were caught not even looking at it. I- I'm, I'm glad that Star Citizen takes this stance and I hope that they'd be looking at the videos rather than just saying they do like Elite was doing. Yeah, I think this is probably... I mean, because they're... They're still in development, so obviously they don't have a full-time dedicated customer support arm for the game yet. So this may just be a way to do, like, screening of the requests, even though it's not a great way to do it. It's just, okay, we aren't even going to bother with a request unless it has a video evidence attached just for our own sanity because we can't spend the amount of time and resources it would take to run down every single complaint because you do know i mean if you've played in fps there are always people who are convinced that the only reason they ever lose or die is because someone's cheating it's a way to weed out you know the people who are just hypersensitive about that sort of thing but it's not really the best way to go about it I'm willing to give them a pass at the moment because, again, it's an alpha, but that's not something I think they can sustain long-term if they want to establish any sort of loyalty or faith in their anti-cheating efforts. Not only that, you know, if you think about it, people who have been caught cheating with video, those are the only ones that can be, like, put on YouTube and somebody can prove someone cheated online. So saying somebody cheated in a forum or talking to your friends in a chat or even in-game chat or sending a... Uh, uh, you know, putting something up on CIG's forums, it's not going to hurt them the way a YouTube video that gets a million hits showing somebody cheating that had no repercussions would. So those are the ones that they really would have to take care of to protect their image, because any other ones could be denied. The long-awaited update 2.2.03 for Elite Dangerous Horizons dropped this week. The full change list is extensive, but among the notable changes are an adjustment to engineers so they no longer require commodities for their recipes, many alterations to blueprints and how certain upgrades alter the performance of components and weapons, and adjustments to NPCs that make them slightly more reasonable as combatants. As far as changes to the upgrades themselves, shield boosters were nerfed a bit, fixed weapons were buffed a bit, 
and a dozen other items tweaked to one extent or the another. In addition, the military ships like the Vulture and the Python received an extra module slot restricted to fitting shield cell banks, hull reinforcement packages, or a new module reinforcement packages which provide damage resistance to your ship's modules when your shields drop. One controversial change, an overhaul to the shield systems of the big three ships, the Cutter, the Anaconda, and the Corvette, was tabled for the immediate future. The beta phase didn't offer Frontier enough data on the changes, so they decided to revisit the issue down the road. Most of these changes are ones we've discussed in detail previously, but if you want to review the details or check the items we haven't addressed, the full patch rundown will be linked in the show notes. The biggest new thing in Elite is somewhat old news now, but we feel it's worth repeating. We're not saying it's alien. No, forget it. It's, it's aliens, no question now. Though there will likely be claims that others broke the tape, so far Commander D.P. Sayer is being credited with posting the first video evidence of an encounter with a Thargoid. After that initial posting, the floodgates opened. Players have been recording encounters with the ships in multiple systems. So far, the encounters haven't been hostile per se, but they are disconcerting. The first evidence players have that they have encountered an alien ship is when they're forcibly ripped out of hyperspace and then completely disabled. Up until now, the only thing that's happened is the player sh ship gets scanned and then the alien ship departs. The encounters have players somewhat worried. Traditionally, the Thargoids are a primary antagonist in Elite, and a fight that begins without warning with one ship's completely disabled is not one that most players would find rewarding. Time will tell when the Thargoids start being hostile and how those encounters will play out. It's not only the Thargoids making news in Elite Dangerous this week. We're also seeing some activity at the Ancient Ruins site. One of the engineers, Ram Ta, has started to figure out a few things about the Guardians. He's offering a new mission to commanders who visit the Mean System. The reward? 100 million credits. All you have to do is scan 100 beacons while in your SRV while carrying the two proper relics out of six possible relics in the right combination at any beacon. Oh, and by the way, it looks like there's at least one additional set of ruins out there yet to be discovered, because only about 20 of the 100 data points have been discovered by the community. This game never makes it easy. So does that also have a requirement that it be Tuesday and it's dark on that mission? It's or? not Fizbin, but it's about as bad. I played that for <laughs> days this week. And I managed to get 8 or 10 obelisks scanned. I spent most of my time just talking to other players on Mobius PvE, you know, at the ruins site that were just hanging out there trying to do the scans. And they've made a lot of progress towards figuring the, the puzzles out and decoding it, but it really is trial and error. And, and the consensus on it is that it's not really a puzzle so much as a grind. That's kind of disappointing. It is, but there is some fun to be had. I mean, it's a social event. If you're on a PvE server, I wouldn't go there and open. But, you know, people are there. People are talking about it. It's a lot of fun to be there. And as we figure it out, we're starting to see some logic to it. Some of the uh, obelisks are grouped in a way that we can identify which relics we should be using with which obelisk. There's a database online linked from the Frontier Forums that shows what combinations work with which ones and some maps. And I think that's interesting because that's community-driven effort, and it's something that we wouldn't be figuring out if there weren't hundreds of commanders out there doing that. Yeah, well, Elite has been good at getting large groups of people together working on different aspects of the game. Like, you've got the people you just mentioned, and then you've got that other group that's focused on 
basically exploration of new and unique things, and then you've got the fuel rats that all are helping out in the verse, so Elite seems to be doing a good job at spontaneous community efforts. Yeah, and I think this kind of mission plays well that way, but if you play it solo, it's absolutely a grind and it's impossible. There's no way someone's going to solve this on their own. I drove around in solo mode for hours and hours before I switched to Mobius and started speaking to other players, and working together in a wing really was the way to do it. So, you said a couple of times now that the Thargoids literally killed you, so... Oh, yeah. You're still you're still talking. Obviously, that's not true, but... Okay, they they literally killed my fake... my, my imaginary commander. <laughs> and uh, they, okay. they literally destroyed my machine. I, I was determined to do as much of the alien stuff for this week's show as possible, so I spent tons of time out at the ruins, and then once I was finished with that, and I had spoken to everyone that I wanted to... or that I had a chance to speak to from Mobius, and a couple of guys from the Kanan group. I moved on back towards Maya or Marope 5 to try to get hyperdicted by the Thargoids. And it didn't take long. I went out there, I grabbed an unknown probe from within the Pleiades Nebula, and it was two jumps after I picked up that probe that I was interdicted. That was really something. I've seen the videos, but having it actually happen was really cool. To lose control of your ship in a game like Elite where there aren't any cutscenes and your ship's just drifting, um, and then this this humongous alien flies over your you know upper left uh, quadrant of your view screen, and they're just there's just this massive ship. There's nothing you can do. They come in, they do their scans, they fly off. You get to scan them before they leave. I mean, it's just scan the ship and get some data, and scan their hyperspace wake also and get some data. But not long after that, I left the encounter. I flew to uh, back to Obsidian Orbital. And as soon as I docked, my computer just hard shut down, just completely shut off and wouldn't boot back up. My video cards just burned up completely, just dead. Right after my encounter with the Thargoids, I blamed them. I blamed the aliens. <laughs> it was not cool. <laughs> this happened last night at like two in the morning. I was actually talking to uh. our host here, Tony Hunter, about it. And, uh, you know, I was in the middle of a conversation with him when everything went down when the Thargoids came for me, and then it was minutes later after the Thargoids. The game got really choppy after the Thargoids, and as soon as I landed, just dead. So now, of course, the problem is you have to prove that you're not a Thargoid that's just replaced Henry. Well, we'll never know. You'll never know. <laughs> I'd know. All right, I suppose we'll have to accept that. So my question on the actual encounter, is the ship... The Thargoid ship, when it shows up, is it uncatchable because your ship is still completely powered down until it's it's gone? Or is it exhibiting performance characteristics that just make it impossible for any current elite ship to catch up to? A little bit of both. I think you can catch it. It's just difficult. I wasn't in my Asp Explorer. When the encounter first happens, you're in hyperspace, so you don't have any control anyway. Your screen goes a little funky, you get pulled out of hyperspace, and you're completely dead. You have no displays, You it's it's like you turn your HUD off. I've even read that the little Christmas tree ornaments that they sell to put on your dashboard in Elite, that those don't, the lights go out in those when the Thargoids come, because every bit of power is gone. Um, for a few seconds, you're just dead in space and unable to move, but you can head look. And then this ship comes over your uh, upper left, and 
comes in slowly, turns around slowly. You're still immobilized. They do this really intense-looking scan. They did a great job with the effects. They do this nice scan. You're staring directly at what I'd assume is the cockpit of this big ship. It's, like, lined up looking at you. And then shortly after the scan, this ship turns and goes to move away, and your ship gets kind of brushed out of the way in, in whatever wake they're putting out. So as your ship's turning away and they're flying away, your power starts to come back up. They start to open their hyperspace corridor, which is different than the jumps that we do. It looks more like a they're opening some kind of a gate or something. And this, this hole opens up in front of them and you get control back. You can target their ship, you can target that wake, and, and you can even get close to them. I wasn't able to catch up, but I didn't really try. I, I moved towards them and was just trying to get scan data. Because I hadn't, you know, I had seen this on YouTube already. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. But yeah, there's no way that you're going to hurt them. I've seen, I've heard of people trying to shoot at it. They immobilize you until it's really too late. By the time you're able to move, they're pretty much on their way out of the system. But they give you the chance. I mean, you feel like you can get there. If you if you try, you might be able to boost towards them. You might be able to run into them. I don't know, but I know you wouldn't be able to hurt them. It's a scripted event. Yeah, I'm interested in how they're going to transition this to an actual combat scenario. Like, I wonder if they'll... Combat? Some Are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to fight them. Right, but that's the next logical yeah, step. Yeah, probably. I mean, we don't want to fight no, in a situation where... How about, how about first contact protocols? How about making friends, initiating a dialogue, uh, do anything but, you know, have them point their guns at you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but you know what'll probably happen? I mean, we're learning a lot about the Guardians, as, and they were a separate race from the Thargoids, and they have obviously different technology, and we know that they're not around anymore from what we've seen in, and spoiler alert, I don't want to talk too much about what you find at the alien site when you're when you're there studying the relics, but you get really good data on the alien civilization. But you find out for sure that they're different from the Thargoids. You find out for sure that they built these obelisks as a communication hub. And you find out for sure that something bad happened to them. I think I'm going to be headed out to the mean system. It's worth it. I mean, you, I've already made like 10 million credits. I haven't turned it in, but I, my reward's up to 10 million credits. But where I was going with that is you find out all this stuff about this other civilization. I'm assuming because we know the Thargoids are old too, that we might find something that helps us to combat the Thargoids in their data network. Uh, it mentions they had advanced shield technology that dwarfs ours. They were able to shield entire cities, which we're not able to do in Elite. So we're going to see uh, some advancements, probably even, I'd assume, engineering recipes that you can get from Ramta to start once this whole thing is solved. And I'm sure that's going to come into play once we're fighting the Thargoids. It would make sense to tie them together. We're interested in your recent Elite Dangerous experiences. Have you run into the Thargoids? Do you have a gripe or praise for 2.2.03? Drop us a note. But now it's time for news we didn't use. This week's Around the Verse from CIG focused on the Xeon and Vanduul languages. Aspiring Xenolinguists should check it out. Many reviewers and streamers have revisited No Man's Sky since its latest update, and now declare it to be a playable and even enjoyable game. If you still have a copy, it might be worth booting it up again and going for a spin. Nah. 
I don't know. I might try it. I still, you know, no flight model. We talked about it in the uh, uh, last show where we mentioned it, but maybe. I wanted to say something about the uh, linguistics before we move on. Is that all right? Yeah, go ahead. Did anybody watch those videos? I watched the supplemental. It was interesting. They've got one of the guys that worked with Star Trek Beyond to, you know, implement the Klingon language in that movie, designing and helping with the Vandal languages. And some of it's pretty interesting. A lot of times when Star Citizen starts working on something like this, and I feel like they could be putting their effort into something more important for the game. I, I didn't feel that way this time. You know, I watched the motion capture for the Vandal, and I listened to them speak, and I can really see how that's going to add a lot to the the immersion, the experience. And I think with a game like Star Citizen, where we have such a large community, we have an actual chance for that to make a difference to that community. There's, you know, there might be people that are interested in the language that even speak it, you know, uh, amongst their friends in game, or want to learn enough that when they hear a vandal yelling at them, they know what they're saying. I think that's really cool. What do you guys think? I mean, the languages were a big deal when they were announced. When it was announced that they they would have actual linguists developing real languages for the different races, that was that was huge for the people who are into the immersion and the um, the lore aspect of the game. And I do I do think it will add a lot to what Star Citizen is aiming for. Yeah, I agree. And seeing it spoken and seeing the motion capture, that sold it for me. I was one of those people that didn't think it would be, you know, I thought it would be wasted effort. But seeing it and seeing the people they have involved and seeing how seriously they're taking all that and the motion capture and the way they're they're tying body language and even the bioluminescence to the way the language is spoken, that's going to be really something. Time has shown that there's an undeniable and repeatable way to upset nearly every space sim gamer that has ever wrapped their hands around a controller or a joystick. Mess with their control scheme. Games like Everspace and No Man's Sky were widely criticized for having no support for alternate controllers besides mouse and keyboard, but even in games that do have that support, gamers are never guaranteed that their preferred scheme will survive the next patch. This is an interesting phenomenon, however, because space sims are the only game that seems to suffer for it. FPSs have had a standard control layout for ages. WSAD directional control, firing with left mouse, aiming with right if applicable, reloading with R, etc. Games differ in the minutia, but most gamers who've played FPSs can pick up any example of the genre and at least be able to move, shoot, and reload without opening a help menu or a tutorial. With space sims, you can be relatively certain the trigger on the joystick will fire your main weapon, but beyond that it's a crapshoot. Pulling the stick to the left may start rolling the ship, or it may start yawing. Pushing button 2 might fire a secondary weapon, or it might start scrolling through options for that weapon. And God help you if you start playing with the POV hat. Some have questioned why a standardized control scheme hasn't been deployed for the space sims. Sure, they have far more control options than average games, but establishing the basics, as with FPSs, might at least reduce the barrier to entry for some players and help encourage gamers to switch to other games more readily. Others insist that ship has sailed. There have been too many different control schemes over the years, and gamers have already chosen their favorite layouts. Standardizing a schema will just make that schema the Internet Explorer of space sims. It's what everyone starts with before putting in their own preference, which is never the default. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate standardized control schemes across the space sim genre. 
Jeff is the kind of shopper who uses his one credit card for everything and refuses to shop in stores that don't accept it, while Henry has at least five different types of payment on him at all times, including a goat suitable for bargain. So Henry, why would establishing a standard control scheme be a pointless effort? For one, it would stifle a little bit of innovation. I mean, look at uh, the way things have changed recently where flying in games like Elite and games like Star Citizen with two joysticks is a thing. That's something nobody would have tried a few years ago. And I think that kind of stuff, if you start saying, okay, WSAD keys are the way to go, you know, you're right. It's going to be the default and nobody's really going to play with it. Even if it opens the door for some new players and it's easier, those guys are even going to want to customize it once they get a really nice controller. There's too much variety in controllers for that. And Jeff, how would you respond to that? Well, Henry, I see your point, but this is not against being able to customize your setup. This is being able to jump in and being able to go into your tutorial if you're flying the first time and going, oh, this is forward, this is reverse, this is up, this is down, this is left, and this is right. This is not the case in the in the space sim genre. I played flight sims that I can jump in any airplane on any different game platform and, and, and fly a combat fighter jet. Henry, what's your response there? There's nothing wrong with customization, and I get what you're saying. Obviously, you're going to be able to customize it still. I just think that it would be the start of the dumbing down of the genre. You know, when I get a new game and I'm going to get in and start playing it it's an, and it's a space sim, I learn a lot about the systems just by setting up my controller. My first hour, half hour, might be doing nothing but setting up my controls to work with the flight set I use all the time. And if it wasn't for going through that, I might not know some systems exist. It's not like I read a manual. And Jeff, your final rebuttal? But the point is, is that not since the games are different, so are your control schemes. So if you play three different space sims and you're jumping from game to game because there's stuff that you like to experience, then you have your mind memory has to remember the control scheme that you've set up for each individual game. This gets to be quite a burden, actually, when you start playing and, and trying to remember, oh, was that my reverse thruster switch or was that oh oh i turned on the lights all right thank you gentlemen uh, quite a lively debate me personally i think that it would be a good thing to establish more of a standard control scheme across the way because i remember when i first jumped into star citizen the control schema was so different from what I'd been used to with space sims that I literally could not fly until I went back in and readjusted everything, which took about 10 minutes each time. And unfortunately, in the earlier days of Star Citizen, the default was reset every time you logged in, basically. Yeah, I remember those days. I think Jeff's main point is, like, time to play. Like, if you're pulling up a new game and the controls are all standard, you can immediately jump in and start playing the game, as opposed to the 5 to 10 minute barrier. Um, I don't know. Have you ever configured a Warthog to... before? Because it's not five ten. It's not a 5 to 10 minute uh, operation. Well, yeah, but I'm saying for your average flight stick, as opposed to the, you know, I need to be able to simulate an actual cockpit level of HOTAS. Yeah. yeah, but isn't okay. that what we should all be using? 
Well, you have our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours. So this week's debate question, do space sims need to have a universal control schema that is mostly standard game to game? Or has that ship sailed and the ability to adjust control schemes in game is sufficient mitigation? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show posts, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook page. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? Some say he prefers women with larger posteriors, and that he has issues with dishonesty, but all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. So, the feedback for this show basically encompasses all of the feedback we've received since our last regular show, so this is feedback from episode 149, feedback we received after the blooper episode, and feedback after episode 150. Silent Hunter writes... So I got myself into a bit of a pickle in Elite Dangerous at a light system called All Rise Sector FW-WC1-14. Quite simply, while engaging in a multi-jump, I managed to run out of fuel and didn't have a fuel scoop. At least not on my Viper Mark III. So rather than self-destruct, I called the Fuel Rats. They responded very quickly indeed, and sent one of their members out. One Commander Fighting Cookie. I was told over their excellent IRC what I needed to do. On arrival, he transferred the fuel over and advised me on what to do in order that I need to get their services in the future. I now have bought a fuel scoop, stored my planetary vehicle hangar as it was taking up a slot for it, and will use the latter for a bigger ship. Although at the moment, my priority is jumping from harmless to mostly harmless. Lovely people who deserve a major shout out, and I hope you give them another one on your show which we sort of did earlier. Absolutely. The Fuel Rats are a great group. Mike Foley writes in and just says, Laugh my English ass off. I'm hoping he was talking about the blooper episode. (laughs) Yeah. Veronic Acid writes in and says, Fantastic show as usual. Best space sim podcast in the verse. And replying to the latest episode, Great show as usual. Thanks, guys. Doc Buckshot writes, Hey, guys, with regards to the live stream question of where is the video production team? Thomas Hennessy is no longer working with CIG. I don't believe they found a replacement for him, so I think Disco is stuck running the production and part-time host at the same time. That would be a significant undertaking for just one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Notorious DYD writes, This is in response to the podcast comment about the Van Duel and not liking the fact that they are the, quote, bad guys slash unremorseful killers. Nearly every story needs an antagonist, be it the Borg in Star Trek Next Generation, the Gold in Stargate SG-1, the Wraith in Stargate Atlantis, the Sith in Star Wars, the Yuuzhan Vong in the Extended Lore, etc. There always needs to be some force over and above a malevolent government or pirates or general bad guys. There needs to be a boogeyman, someone that you tell stories about to frighten little children and grown men alike. Something that cares little for the trivialities of diplomacy or money or territory, so much so that their motivations are foreign to you and I as their culture and tactics. That's the role of the Van Duel. I agree that we see them as one-dimensional currently, and I think that's by purposeful design. I think that there is more to their backstory and more to them as a culture than we know both from a meta and in-lore perspective. Knowing too much about them now takes away too much of the fear, which I firmly believe we need in a game. I think he's talking about a point I was making when we were talking about them and and how they were very similar to Klingons, and I thought they were kind of a trope. 
everything he says there is correct. I agree entirely. Absolutely. Well, to a point, uh, and I think I was saying that, uh, you know, why we need such things in the first place. It's going to be interesting enough to to explore the metaverse and, and all the things that are in it without having to have... Uh, what is every game? Well, I, I guess I answer my own question, so I won't even I won't even begin with this. Yeah, this is a lot like the point you were making in the episode, counter to what I was saying, and and I agreed with it when you said it too. I agree with him here. I just want to see more. That's all. I want to see not just the Vandal. I want to see more species that aren't warlike, that don't have claws for fingers. You know, I have a hard time believing that a species with that has evolved. Uh, past an hunting yeah. species is still going to have three-inch talons. They're just not going to be effective for typing, and they're going to want to type at some point. You yeah. know what I mean? They're building starships. They're not hunting prey. I don't know. I've seen some industrious women with three-inch-long fingernails who can still type at about 60 words per minute. So That's a good point, yeah. Preacher writes in and says, If I remember correctly, Chris Roberts said in an interview a while back that we were the boogeymen with the Van Duel. I distinctly remember him saying that we started the war, so everything that we know about them is government propaganda. I personally look at their society as city, states versus clans, and come together when they're a greater threat, i.e. the human race. Great show. Yeah, that's a great point, too, and... and Actually, uh, going back to the previous point, they do round out the Vandal. They're talking about their language and their culture in that uh, supplemental video. And that is helping to make them seem more three-dimensional. Alexander Lovell writes, You were speaking on the nature of the bad guys. This was my first episode to listen to, and I thought I would comment. In short, think of the concept, competing to cooperate better than your opposition. Or simply consider the philosophy of the shadows in Babylon 5. They were a superior interdimensional race that stirred up conflict in less developed races because they believed the lesser races needed conflict to grow. That's an interesting point, too. Yep. And welcome to a apparently new listener. We always like those. Sean Newboy, as usual, says, Wonderful show. Excellent year. I bought a joystick. Now to just get my starter pack for Star Citizen. And from the latest episode... Wonderful show. Congrats on the start of a new year. Al White writes in and says, Hey guys, great show. On the subject of AI, I don't think that you really explored the idea that this song test shows that there is something different about human creativity that does not result from the mathematical processing of experiences. I don't know if the team is strictly atheistic, but it doesn't hurt to be open-minded and maybe consider that a person may not be able to create something superior to oneself. Or maybe I'm reading too much into this and ruining all the fun. <laughs> I'd like to say he's got a point we really don't know at this point. I personally feel like it's only going to get better and the line between human creativity and machine creativity is just going to get blurred. But who knows if they'll ever have the experience that we have, you know, the personal experience of thinking rather than just computing. Who knows? Well, it's funny because I was remembering a uh, when I was in college, oh, so many years ago, long long before we got the technology we're today, we were debating the fact that, uh, you know, about creativity and there's just something unique about us being aware and sentient that is beyond mathematical equations and that you can't program for that. But I argue that how do we know that? Because we haven't broached that capacity yet. We haven't created a thinking mind or an AI that has the possibility of forming their own creativity. 
I think we'll get there eventually. I think yeah. it'll happen. I personally think that, but it's an opinion. It's no more than opinion at this point. You're right. You know, right. and I don't want to discount what he's saying. Personally, I think we'd get there, but he's his opinion is just as valid if he thinks that it's impossible because he feels like there's something more going on than just a computation. Because of what little we know, both arguments are valid in my opinion. Ken from Chicago writes, by the way, at GuardFreak, did you say your email address is squawk at guardfrequency.com? I think what we said was it was squawk at guardfrequency.com, Ken. Yes, Ken, it's definitely squawk at guardfrequency.com. Is there anything else I can tell you that you don't already know? I think it's because we said it so many times, that episode. <laughs> Which, and I'd like to note for the record, Lennon and I went through this ending bit, and there are now less references to the email than there were before. And if you don't like that, you can send us an email about it to squawk at guardfrequency.com. <laughs> Ah, okay. Oh, I suppose we walked right into that one. <laughs> and our new Patreons this week are I Have Names to Read! Uh, cognitive. Uh, cognit uh. <laughs> but you can't. <laughs> yes. Cognitation Corp and Chris Cooper. And it's a new year, so we're changing things up a bit. No longer will you be limited to one prompt for your responses. So. This week's community questions are, things are changing for CIG's community content. Is this a bigger focus on development and streamlining of messaging, or more obfuscation and diluting of backer involvement? Do you like Elite Dangerous 2.2.03? Have you run into the Thargoids? Let us know your experiences, complaints, or praise. And the debate topic, do space sims need to have a universal control schema that is mostly standard game to game? Or is that ship sailed and the ability to adjust control schemes in-game is sufficient mitigation? You've heard our thoughts, so we want to hear yours. Drop us an email, a tweet, or a comment on our show's post over on our website or on our Facebook page. So how was the show? Were you able to pick it up without worrying? Or did you just want to open up the menu and rebind us? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 151 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 152 on January 24th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com live. We start recording around 10 o'clock p.m. Central, which is 12 midnight Saturday if you happen to be on the Turks and Caicos Islands. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support our show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 US, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? 
We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the Call Slans section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkies for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkies.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty low. Reduce thrust. Sorry, I didn't catch any of that. You Skyped out for me, so <laughs> whatever you said, good job. Right. <laughs> the long-awaited update for, uh, yeah, that. let's start out by screwing up the sentence. Nice job. Though there will likely be claims that others broke the tape, so far Commander D.P. Sayer is being credited... Bleh. So far, Commander D.P. Sayer is... Com- is... Uh, I'm doing my kin shadow. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get there. Yeah, um, I know. <clears throat> well, let's do it. Well, give me a second to. <sighs> I don't know if the team is strictly aesthetic, um, uh, but no, no, that's atheistic. Uh oh. I don't know if the team is strictly atheistic. Agnostic? <laughs> Atheistic. Agnostic would probably work, but it's not yeah. what he said, so... I know. Or more obfuscation and diluting of backer involvement. That That's obfuscation. Read, seen, or heard something that you might find... Uh, oh, I'd read this all the time. You'd never know. Red? <laughs> yeah. Just throw some syllables together. It'll work out. Yeah.